You know, it's, it's one of the greatest, uh, I think one of the greatest privileges that we share together is, is our um, common bond and, and unity in Christ, and then to send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, if we were just doing this by ourselves and it was just about us, uh, that would be very short-sighted. And uh, global missions is super, super important uh, to the cause of Christ, that, that we would make sure that the Word of God, the Gospel, the good news, would reach the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? So should be an exciting time hearing from them. They have another presentation they'll give us as we uh, eat together in the fellowship hall during our potluck after this service. And I think Ryan mentioned, if you didn't bring, if you didn't bring something, it's okay. It was kind of a short notice. We added this on. But uh, just come and be a part of that. We'd love to have you there. So we are in Galatians chapter 4. We've, we finished chapter 3 uh, last week. And, uh, and again, our theme in Galatians is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, there was a group of, pe- group of people called the Judaizers who were trying to, to embrace and continue to hold on to their Jewish tradition and heritage and also uh, go after Christ and say, well, yeah, we believe Jesus. He was here. He's the Messiah. But we still need more than just Jesus. It's Jesus plus, plus the law. Because the promise was presented to Abraham, and yes, it, it, it talked about the Messiah coming to redeem, but the law was given in the meantime also, and, and we have to, it's, it's important to follow this law and these rules and these regulations. So we have Jesus plus something else. And Paul argued, he said, it is not in something else that we are saved. It is in Christ alone that we are saved. Uh, it is right. Salvation is by grace, through faith, and in Christ alone. That's why Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So these, these Judaizers were starting to, to sway these new Gentile Galatian believers. And, and certainly they looked and appeared, these, the Judaizers did, the false teachers, they looked and appeared like they had their stuff together, like they probably had done this a long time. They were probably right. So you know, if you're new in your faith, if you're young in your faith, we've got to make sure we test everything. We make sure that we, we go back to what does the Scripture say? Who is Jesus? And are we embracing Jesus Christ and Christ alone? Um, and the Judaizers were throwing these guys kind of into a... Into a false doctrine, and they were starting to embrace it and be led astray. So Paul wanted to, to correct that. He wrote this, this letter to these churches to inform them and let them know, hey, this is wrong. What we, what we taught you, what we presented to you was Jesus only, not Jesus plus anything else. And uh, as he wrote this letter, I know he was, he was anticipating the arguments that the Judaizers would then present to the Galatians or, or back talk that they would give to, to Paul. So he's very logically working through an argument to these to these. Galatians, but also to these Judaizers. Uh, last week, we looked at how Paul showed us uh, how inadequate the law was to save. That, that although the Judaizers thought this was a great thing, this was a needed thing, it was a necessary thing for salvation, Paul went into exactly how, how inadequate it was to do the saving, and that Jesus and his finished work on the cross was more than enough uh, to do that. But he didn't, he didn't want to make, he wanted to make sure, listen, that the law was not something we just throw aside. What, he, what we learned last week was the law actually cooperates with the promise in that it points out how deeply sinful you and I are. It should, when, when there's a rule and we, we see it posted, we know how deeply sinful we are because we break that rule. And we're in deep, desperate need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the law is cooperating with the promise by pointing us to the promise in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's who the promise is. That's who we are to be pointed to. So today we're continuing on in our, in our series in Galatians, and we're looking at chapter 4. And, and chapter 4, uh, the first part of it anyway, is kind of, uh, in some of the books I read, some of the commentaries and texts, it's almost like, hey, grow up. It's time to grow up. That's kind of the, the headline of this chapter. And as I read through and I thought through this and prayed through this, to me, it, it really it reflected growing pains as a Christian. 
right? There's the growing pains of grace because this book is all about God's grace, His grace alone, right? And, and as we are presented with that grace, there are going to be growing pains. Just as children have growing pains as we grow up and even as adults have growing pains, as we grow spiritually, we have these growing pains that God is trying to, to help us grow up in our faith, in our walk with God, that we spiritually would mature because God is trying to conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's often a painful process. There are painful reality checks along the way that must be embraced, right? There are things that are said in Scripture that are uncomfortable but are necessary for our life, and we have to, we have to adapt and change, and sometimes that means letting go of things that we held on to, right? So it's painful that those, those reality checks need to be embraced, and then there are some things we need to let go of or reject, and, and it will feel like they are actually being ripped away from us. But it's all part of growing up. It's all part of growing up. Right? I know as, as I grew up and I come to my parents, man, life is tough. Life is, life is hard. You know, life is not fair. And they'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're right. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Growing up is tough. So, but today what we're going to look at are four growing pains that we find when we're presented with grace. Two of them are, are things we need to reject, we need to be aware of and reject. And two of them are things we need to embrace all the more in order to reject the other two. Copy that? So there's kind of two different things going on. We're embracing and rejecting uh, some growing pains of grace. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get to work in the Scriptures. Father, we, we are so grateful to you for your love and your grace that you've given us. We're so grateful for you working in our hearts and, and drawing us closer to you and into a relationship with the Father through the Son. God, as we study your, your word today, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to be receptive to what you have to say to us, that you would challenge us and change us and convict us by the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us, that we would be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So let's read our text, chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under the guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. But when the completion of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. Verse 8, But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things by the, by, that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather that you have become known by God, you, uh, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my, weak, my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the, on the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to, what happened to this blessedness of yours? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that is the false teachers, are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. 
Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. Now, it's always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I'm with you. My children, again, I am, I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. All right. That is a, a lengthy text. It's a weighty text. It's a wordy text. And we're going to try to break it down. Now, obviously, in a, in a Sunday morning, we could, we could go through Galatians for two years. Okay? Just so you know that. Go, go home. Study this. Read more. Uh, but we're going to cover just four, I think, four areas that we see Paul, Paul talking about and mentioning that are important for us to understand that are kind of the growing pains. If you and I are to grow up in, in grace, what is that going to feel like? What's that going to look like? What do we have to reject along the way? And what should we embrace along the way? So number one, the first thing is religion and rebellion lead to slavery. And we have to understand that's something to reject. Amen? Religion and rebellion that leads to slavery. We should not embrace that. We should reject that. So let's look at our text, verses 1 through 3. It says, uh, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he differs, differs in no way from a slave, uh, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under the guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. So what we're going to talk about, that we need to understand there's this, this time in our spiritual lives when we are rebellious and far from God. And, and this, first, this first instance we see is, is Paul referring to when you were children. And it's not talking about when you were small children in the faith. He's saying when you, were, when you were still under the curse of the law, and that was the guardian, right? We talked about that last week. They were, they were like a, a tutor. They would take care of the kid until the, the kid became of age to, to really be a full son, adult son, right, or daughter. There was this tutor, and it was kind of the guardian. And we, we were under the curse with that, and, and we were rebellious. Think about kids. Kids are rebellious, right? They, they, want, to, they want to push you away. They want to say, no, that, I'm not going to do it your way, uh, even if it's the right way. I'm going to do anything I can to do it the opposite way. And that's, that's how kids are. They're rebellious. So he identifies that when we were children, we were rebellious, and we were slaves in that rebellion. That when we rejected God, all we could do was continue to reject God. All we could do was, was set ourselves under the, the burden of sin that we had, we had presented ourselves with and that was presented to us by the spiritual forces of darkness in the world. It says the elemental forces of darkness. And I want you to understand, Ephesians 6.12 says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. There is an actual, active, spiritual battle being waged against you and against me. We have to understand that, that it's really, really going on around us. And, and that's why it's so imperative that we are intentional or deliberate in our faith in, in matters especially of prayer and, and, and reading the Word and, and being with, in fellowship and, be, and letting iron sharpen iron so that these, these forces won't lead us to a different place that, that they want to make us ineffective for Jesus. But before we even met Christ, we were, we were there in slavery to these things. Turn to Colossians. It's a couple, couple books after Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And go to chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> and and I, I know I said religion and rebellion lead to slavery. I, I'm going to clarify the religion a little bit here, here in this text in Colossians. But it's going to be clarified in point number 3 in, in a major way. I want to show you that then as well. But religion and rebellion lead to slavery. First, rebellion of my heart just as an as a irresponsible child not even wanting anything to do with my Heavenly Father. I rebelled against him, and, and I was slavery to that, in slavery to that sin. And then in Colossians, uh, he, he's warning these, uh, the Col uh, Coloss followers about similar things. And he says in, in verse 8, beginning in verse 8, 
says, be careful that no one takes you captive, right? There's that word captive, right? Slavery, burden, uh, in bondage, right? In chains. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on what? Human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. So what we're seeing is these, these spiritual forces of darkness are there, ready to take us captive through human tradition. Does it sound like what's happening in, in the churches of Galatia? Yeah, it does, right? And they're being presented not with debauchery, like, hey, if you debauch your life, you know, that's what Satan wants you to do. What is Satan tempting them with? Religion, right? Doing, doing a good thing, what appears good, and we'll talk about that more later. So it's religion and rebellion that will lead us to slavery, or slavery. and we continue on. It says, uh, we need to stand on Christ, for in Him the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily, and you have been filled by Him who is the head. Uh, over every ruler and over every authority. Amen? That, that's who we've been filled by, is Jesus Christ. And He has the authority. He is the last answer, right? He, the buck stops with Him. And anytime we talk about the gospel, and today we're going to be partaking in the Lord's Supper, anytime we, we, we talk about the gospel, we embrace, embrace the gospel, we embrace Him. We embrace Christ alone. We, don't, we bring baggage, but He redeems that baggage and says, that's nothing, don't... And then we bring, sometimes we want to bring merit. We want to bring, bring, look at how good I am. Look at how gracious I've been. You cannot bring that to this table. Everything that's needed is how it's already been brought and paid for, right, on the cross. We can't bring that. It's not accepted. And the Judaizers and Satan and the world says, oh yeah, bring what you ought to bring because you need to earn some favor here. Put your, put your credentials down. Mark, mark it on a list. Make sure you've, you've kept a record of those things because they're going to be important. Never. They're going to be important. Never is the answer. We have to reject that notion, that, that religion, right? That we, that we have to reject religion and, and rebellion because it leads to say, slavery. It, it, it becomes a burden and it binds us. Each rebellion and religion leads to slavery. They want us to say, you've got to figure it out on your own. You can earn your own way. You can, you can get there by your own achievement and merit. But that's opposite to our theme and opposite to the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Amen? So we have to, we have to overcome this, this idea or this notion, this temptation that we, we have to be religious or, or you know, that, that's, that's the way we have to go, right? Because re- rebellion and religion lead to slavery. Number two, it's one that needs to be embraced, a growing pain. And you'll see why it's a pain. Inheritance and freedom are in Christ. Number two is inheritance and freedom are in Christ. That's where we have true freedom is in Christ alone. But it's so hard to just surrender ourselves, isn't it? It's so hard to just say, you know what, I'll just lay myself down. I'll let God be God and and, and he he can take the credit. We so want to be active in taking the credit for our own faith. And, And that's why it's painful because we have to rip apart our ego and pride and say, God, it's all about you and, and giving you the credit for this. Let's go back to the text in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So we see this rebellion happening, this, this rebellion that happens, and, and it's, it's sinful rebellion, it, it leads to slavery. And then, of course, one of my favorite types of transitions in Scripture in verse 4, but when the completion of time came, God, right? So this but God and I love that. It's, it's, it's I was messing up. I was sinful. I, was, I had a burden. I was in slavery. I was a mess. But then God 
came. And there's, see, there's no me in that. There's no my efforts and what I achieved. It's all about who? God. But when the, when the uh, fullness of time or completion of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, you and I, under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Who did that? God did. He was the one that was adopting. He was adopting us as, as sons and daughters. And because, it says in verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. We're an heir through God, not our own merit. It's by God and his power. And, and that spirit he gives us inside of us is there to, to guide us and to direct us and, and to move us into obedience to him. But it cries out in that Abba, Father. And it's that, it's that daddy, it's that papa phrase. And it's, it's that intimate, loving, compassionate phrase where I don't have to earn something. See, I'm a dad. And my kids don't have to do a single thing to receive my love. I will give it freely every single day to them. And what I want them to do is enjoy, enjoy me. Enjoy the relationship they have with me and their mom. Be able to say, Daddy. To get on my lap and say, Daddy. And then when they go out, the joy that they have is to be part of this family and to reflect the family. So you and I, as we live our lives, it's not to live our lives in, in rebellion, certainly, but it's not to live our lives in, in this religion either. It's to understand our inheritance is in Christ, and he's our daddy, and we can just go out every day filled with his spirit, and our spirit, a little pep in our step, our spirit can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, what are we going to do today? And I love that. I love that in my children now, and I see so much rebellion even in my children now, but I love that they still want to hold my hand, that they want to call me Daddy, that they want to get up my lap, and they want to just... Just go and do what we do. I had to come down to the church last night to, to grab something for my wife. And I'll, I'll run down there. And, and, and I'm going, I mean, we're, we live two minutes away, right? And I, I, I'll, I'll go quick and come back. And my son and daughter both, Daddy, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? I'm like, oh my gosh, you know how much of a big of a pain that is to buckle you into your car seats and get you out and put you back in. Yes, you can go. Yes, absolutely, you can go. I want that. I want that relationship. And that's what the Father wants with us as well. Inheritance and freedom are in Christ. If you go back to the text in Colossians again, we're going to check that out. We're going to continue on in that and the rest of it. So chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 12. I'm sorry, 11. And we'll go through 15. I want us to understand this inheritance, right? Who, who does the glory, who does the credit belong to here? Beginning in verse, I said 11, right? 11. In Him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. So we, we have been changed by him and cleansed by him. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead, when you and I were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Amen? He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that, were, that, uh, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. There's a lot of he's and him's in there, isn't there? Amen to that. This is about God having the victory. He gets the final victory so you and I can have an inheritance and have a freedom from that slavery and from that bondage of rebellion and even religion. 
that I don't have to measure up because I never can, but Jesus did. And if I'm sitting and standing in Jesus, then I am, I am a son, I'm an heir, and I have freedom. I don't have to, I don't have to let the weight of the world and the weight of, of right and wrong and trying to figure it all out sway me. I can just let Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, guide me and be my dad. And it's painful, right? It's painful to confront our own heart. But we must allow our shame and our guilt and our sin to be nailed to that cross of Christ because he has the ultimate victory. Amen? This is one of those labor or these pains, these growing pains that are very, very difficult, but so, so worth it. So worth it. Number three, this is one we need to overcome or reject. Number three is this Satan schemes to make us moral. Satan schemes to make us moral. So before we knew Christ, we were, we were children of destruction. We were children of rebellion. We were slaves to that, right? That, that's where we were, and we wanted to rebel. And then, and then once Christ came in view, the, the new temptation is now to make us moral. That's what Satan wants us to do, wants to do is to scheme to make us moral. Now, there's a, there's a fine line here, and we're going to talk about that, because we don't dance on that line. We, we pick a side. But there's a, there's a fine line in that. Satan wants to make us moral for the wrong reasons. Right? God certainly wants us to, to live a certain way and behave a certain way and to reflect Him in a certain light, but it's for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. So let's look at our text again in Galatians chapter 4. We're moving on there, Galatians 4, 8 through 11. This does connect, I, I believe, with that first top section really well. Uh, in verse 8 it says, But in the past, so he's talking to the Galatians again, But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God. So he's talking about that, right? In the past, before you knew God, you, you were a slave to sin. You were, you were in rebellion. You didn't know God. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn, what does it say? Back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces. Well, this is interesting. Are, are they turning back to the debauchery and the, and the rebellion? Well, no, they're, they're not. They're turning to something called religion. But what, what Paul couples and, and piles in together is that rebellion and religion are both from the same source. They're from him, right? And they lead to slavery. We saw that in part number one and point number one, right? And now he schemes for the believer. He schemes just to make us moral. He wants to get us to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And in, in doing that, he paralyzes and stops the forward progress of the gospel. It's all the same weak and bankrupt elemental forces that are working in against us, but it's for a different purpose now. There's a temptation of the flesh that Satan uses to draw us away from living in dependence of grace by faith and the Holy Spirit of God to living by dependence on ourselves and our own morality. Scriptures say in 2 Corinthians that he and his demons, that is Satan and his demons, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. We talk about this often, right? The Satan's not going to come up and say, hey, do you want to go to this really, really wicked, evil thing? Right? It's horrible. You're going to hate it. You're probably going to go to hell. He's, he doesn't tempt us like that. He's an angel of light who presents us with, a, with a, a thing that looks good. It looks righteous. They're servants of righteousness, trying to lead us astray by leading us to morality alone. The Galatians were not abandoning uh, Christ for some debauched ways. We didn't understand that, right? This wasn't a letter to the Corinthian church. This is a letter to Galatians. And the Galatians are, are going into a doctrinal uh, hard place and, and maybe some, some shady water of, of the gospel, right? The purity of the gospel. 
but they are not being led into a debauched lifestyle. That's not what Paul is countering here. In fact, if someone was to look from the outside looking in to the Galatians, they'd be like, they'd be, you'd be impressed. And you guys have got it together. You're, you love Jesus, it sounds like, and he's changed you, and you're doing all these things to, make, to identify you know, yourself as a, as a follower. From the outsiders looking in, they're like, wow, you've got your stuff together. Way to go. And see, I, don't, I think that people say that about us sometimes. I don't want to just have my stuff together. I want them to look in and see how, how horrible I was and how awesome Jesus is, how redemptive Jesus is, how life-changing Jesus and His Spirit is, right? I want them to see Jesus, not anything good that I've done. If you want to be moral and virtuous on your own, Paul is saying it's the same as the former, former idolatry that you were in. This morality, this new religious way, this, this moral cleanliness, whatever you want to call it, is, is the same thing as the moral idolatry, immoral idolatry you were facing before you were even a Christian. Satan wants to tempt us and draw us into that. Paul is, Paul is revealing a typical demonic scheme that I think is very typical still today amongst us. And it is clean, and it is moral, and it is religious, and it is not from above. Don't let your morality be the basis on which you approach God because you will fail. It, in, in that, it's because we fail that we can approach God because He didn't fail, did He? He gave His body, He shed His blood so that when you and I couldn't, we couldn't reach Him. I think that's one of the, this point, I think it's one of the biggest things that you and I are going to struggle with. Satan trying just to make you, make you moral, make you look good. And what he does is he paralyzes the spirit inside of you of God, right, that's inside of you wanting to cry out Abba and have some joy and excitement in your life. Paul, Paul says next, he says, what, what happened to that? There was joy and now it's just rules and looking the part. We have to stop looking the part and actually be Christ followers. We have to be found in Him. Not with the righteousness of our own, but one that comes from faith in Him. Our trust must be in Christ. That leads to number four, our final point. And this is the one we, we embrace. Grace is for our good and for God's glory. It's for our good and for God's glory. Let's carry on and look at verse 12. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. Uh, you know that I've previously, I previously had preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my, uh, though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. He's saying, listen, I, it, God's grace was impactful to you. We had, we had this bond, this relationship. It was not about following a little extra rules and adding to the gospel. It was about embracing the gospel fully and loving your dad, your father, fully as you walked out the doors of any, any meeting or place or gathering that you would just love him from your life. And Paul says in verse 15, what happened to this blessedness of yours? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. 
You know, verse 19, it says, My children, again, I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. Not until rules or regulations, not until you've got it all together as far as these festivals and holy days, but until Christ is formed in you. We really do like to be all about ourselves. That's, that's, that's just human nature, isn't it? Humankind has an intense and powerful desire and need for the praise of others. We need that. We, we want the praise of others. We want to know. And, and I find myself doing that all the time. You know, would you like that? Is that okay? Or, you know, asking those questions, making sure people are, are pleased and that they're happy with, with the way I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Right? We are people pleasers to the core. We gravitate towards ideas or an image that will make us look great. And we resist. This is the painful part of this redemptive quality. We resist anything that would make us look weak or small. Paul says, what happened? What happened to this joy? You're seeking to please and be pleased by man and not by God. And you, you had it. You, you knew. You, you embraced this, this love and this joy, this, this, this blessedness of spirit. Because Jesus changed everything for you. And you've kind of set that aside because you, your ego needs to be stroked a little bit by these laws and rules and following the code just right. And, th and that's so far against what God wants us to do. What happened to you? What happened to the spirit that was there? And he says it's for, these, these Judaizers aren't doing this for your own good. And what he infers is that what Jesus has for you, the joy and hope that he has for you, is for your own good, huh? Right? We'd have dinner, dinner at my house at times, and, and um, Kiki and Kieran were there often, and we would, we would have, we'd have dinner, wouldn't we, guys? And we'd, we'd have uh, dessert. And early on, we'd have dessert. And this is like any kid. This is, I was like this too. We would, you know, we'd be thinking, what are we going to have for dessert? I don't know. We'll figure that out. Well, maybe with brownies. Maybe we'll go get something at the store. Who knows? And it would be kind of fun. Just kind of, what do we want to do? And we may, maybe a nice monkey bread. You guys ever have a monkey bread? Right? It's, it's, you pull apart the cinnamon. I mean, it's dangerous. It's good. But, but after dinner was over, one of the first things a child asked or they would, oh, can I have this candy or Jolly Rancher? Can I have this little Hershey's Kiss? Well, yeah, if you want that. I mean, we're going to have dessert later. Oh, no. I won't. So it was quick, right? They were quick to get the quick pleasure, the easy fix, the thing they thought they really wanted. And as time went along, they got a little wiser. They understood that what was in the oven was probably going to be better than a Jolly Rancher, right? So then they started asking, right? They, uh, what, well, what is for dessert? They wanted to know. They, they'd count the cost. And see, God, God is like that. God's, God's saying, I've got this, this joy and this hope and this excitement for you if you would be found in me. And just let me be your dad. Let me be your father. And stop, stop trying to, to get instant gratification on something small that strokes your ego and, and makes you feel more important and that makes your image look good. Just set that aside because it's about me being glorified in you and you enjoying me along the way. See, we, we're too, I said this at a men's group, is a quote, we are far too easily pleased. When we have the God of infinite joy at our fingertips, at our grasps, and, and, and the spirit of that God inside of us, we are far too easily pleased with other things than our Father in heaven. Our love and praise of men hinders us in our faith in Christ. Because, because the purpose of Christ is to remove any form of boasting inside of us. So we're resistant, aren't we? 
I, I want to find a way to boast. I want to find a way to, to say how good I am. And, and God's like, no, no. The point of this is to, is to remove that from you. And, and the way he accomplished that is, is to boast about him. right? He wants him. Paul says, I want Christ to be formed in you. I want him to be elevated. He did that by accomplishing our redemption on the cross without our help. And he continues, he continues to do it by applying that redemption to our hearts without our help. By his sovereign grace, Christ paid the debt. By his sovereign grace, he's putting it on our lives day by day so we can say with the psalmist, Psalm 115, not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. You see, it's got to be all about Jesus. Because Jesus plus nothing is indeed everything. And as we approach the Lord's Supper, it's the same. You and I cannot approach fellowship and, and, and partaking in the Lord's Supper with any merit on our own. You, if you try to bring something to this table, please leave it where it is. Because Jesus has accomplished it all. And we do this in remembrance of him and what he has done. And as we, as we set aside our selfish pride, we can embrace fully the grace of God and relish the hope we have in the finished work of Christ alone. Amen? We have to relish that. But it takes that emptying of our ego and our pride and our morality and our religion, and it takes fully embracing a righteousness that is in Christ by faith. Amen? I'm going to ask right now that we, the, those who I asked to serve the Lord's Supper would come up and the worship team would come back up. We are going to partake together in, in remembrance of Christ. And as we do, I, you know, take that time right now and in a moment as we sing and as the, as the band plays to, to just worship God, to give, give it all to Him, to show your love for Him and your satisfaction in Christ alone. Leave behind, check your ego, leave behind your pride, leave behind your merit because it will not do anything for you here. He has already done it all for you. As we approach this table, we remember that Jesus plus nothing is everything. The way we do it in our church, we, we pass out the elements one at a time. We pass out the, the bread first, right? The little cracker, and, and we make sure everyone gets one. And once everyone has been, been given a, a, an element, we, we all come forward and, and read Scripture and partake that together. And then we pass out the juice, the same thing, everyone gets one, and uh, we come, come back forward, and we have prayer, and read scripture, and we partake of that together. For you that are, that are here today, that are, that are the body of Christ, that you have in Christ in you, and, and you know that he is your redeemer, that he paid it all, uh, you're a believer in Christ, you're, you're a Christian, this means the world to you and I, right? Maybe you're here today just checking it out. Maybe you, you haven't, haven't made that, that decision to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, and what we'd ask you to do is just observe. If, if the plate comes by, you can just pass it to your neighbor. There's no judgment here. It's just we want you to observe how we come before the table of God humbly with nothing of our own, but because he has given us everything. All right? Mm -hmm.